Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Well, welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. So we have like a funny like canter tradition. So we like, we being me and my parents, very big family, obviously. We don't like turkey. We don't like any of the Thanksgiving things. So we like really flip it on its head. We have like literal like Indian takeout every single year. That's our tradition. Ooh. We like eat like Indian food in our PJs, like have a fire, like hang out, whatever. So it's kind of funny because everyone's like bugging out this year being like, oh my God, we can't do our usual thing, COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, ha, joke's on you. I we never do. This do. <laughs> every year. Like <laughs> the day of Thanksgiving, I saw a turkey in my backyard though. I was like, what type of like symbolic bullshit is this? But, my yeah. mom is a vegetarian and we love... Like, we do, like, a normal, like, Thanksgiving spread, but um, she obviously doesn't eat the turkey, but sh- this year she was, like, just to, um, you know, contrast you guys eating turkey, um, I sponsored five turkeys this year, um, so <laughs> she basically <laughs> oh adopted five turkeys um, and That's saved incredible. them this Thanksgiving, so. Oh. Well, we have a special new segment we're introducing to our listeners this week um like call Joan Rivers up from the dead because we're I miss her so much and so this is in honor of Joan Rivers we're starting a fashion police segment the hill edition um I would just like to preface this guys with my one claim to fame um and that is that I was best dressed in high school so yeah class Mm. of 2011 yeah, we're we're happy to have you. Um, it's good to have a professional voice, you know, on our um, I do what I can segment. Well, how we're doing this is we're gonna pick a best and worst dressed um, of people in the political sphere, and <clears throat> we will start it off with our worst dressed, Rudy Giuliani. Um, hear me out. So, Rudy Giuliani, if you did not see recently. Um, had a bit of a, I would say it's more of like a glam mm. um, mess mm-hmm. up, um, and it was quite disastrous. The Kardashians would be shaking in their boots if you know to see this. Rudy Giuliani um, used his hair paint, I guess, and I during didn't know a press that was conference, a thing. I literally <laughs> did not know that hair paint was a thing. Like absolutely, yeah. what the hell? So yeah, I guess hair paint. And, you know, as an old man, you lose your hair a little bit. It gets a little sparse. You got to, like, fill it in to make it look a little bit more lively. And he, I think he just. It's called a toupee. 
get a toupee. I yeah, want to or make maybe permanent that. hair dye. Like, you don't need to... Okay, let's just explain what happened. Yeah, just sorry, for anyone sorry. who doesn't know. And if you don't know, go we'll on Google. You need to Google images this right now. Rudy Giuliani, hair paint. And he was at a press conference and just absolutely sweating bullets. Like, also, he was just talking out of his ass, just straight up lies. But the best part was, like, the fact that his hair paint was dripping water falling down his face. <laughs> wild. Absolutely wild. Like, and, like, I didn't even know what the substance could be. Like, I was like, where is this coming from? First, I thought it was a spray tan because we did make this tweet. Check out our Twitter, but... I tweeted that I tweeted this is very real like that was literally me in high school when I would get a spray tan for homecoming but I played very competitive soccer and so I would have soccer games all day before homecoming but I would have to get a spray tan the day before so I have to play three soccer games with a spray tan before my dance and like just would be leaking down my body like in every way and that's what it reminded me of crazy well it got worse too because I don't know if you saw this but he also had a handkerchief which I also didn't realize that people like not like taking a time travel moment back to like I don't know 1920 use like I really thought these were retired but apparently not um the unsanitary reusable tissue is still a thing and he literally he wiped his nose like snot in tissue bomb like literal ew like and blew his nose into it wiped his face with it like had i guess like he was itchy he wanted to wipe his sweat well, maybe his, sweating like, like crazy like just imagine taking i can't believe i'm saying this word this is so not me your own boogers and then wiping them across <laughs> your face that's exactly like, what he did on national television while like amidst a global pandemic um, where they were all not, also not wearing masks, all surrounded by each other, oh, sweating on each other and blowing in their nose on each other. Um, and so, I mean, his suit itself was fine. Like, okay. it was a decent suit. Um, it was fitted and, you know, that's all we can ask for, really. Um, but this was mostly a major glam mishap um, that was just, again, absolutely devastating. Let's just, I, I'm done talking about Rudy Giuliani. I'm, I'm done. But And so let's talk about our best dressed queens so we love we love us some good outfits obviously as well mm-hmm. um so our winner of the week is cory bush who has been killing the mask game like literally like from day one yes cory bush um has been killing it she's not even sworn into office yet and she's already killing it but part of our best dress moment this week is also highlighting the squad, um, especially in light of Cori Bush now, because we, you know, if you didn't see, there was a beautiful Twitter thread of Cori Bush, like talking about how, you know, she has to go shopping for her new job on the Hill. And it's expensive to like get nice work clothes. And the squad just came like to her with all the advice in the world, talking about how they thrift, they use reused clothes and just not only do they kill it by just like they all look amazing, but it's all thrifted clothes, which is sustainable um, and which is, you know, economical. And they are absolute like fashion icons and we don't need to like wear our designer clothes and, 
you know, go to Vogue to get our fashion inspo. Like, we love a thrifty woman. And these powerful women on the Hill, they just kill it across the board. They are. And also, obviously, we love thrifting. I personally have a great time doing it myself. So, like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's get some vintage up in here. But I will say there is one brand called M.M. LaFleur, and they have been outfitting women running for office for the last few years for free. So there are more and more brands that are kind of coming to step up in the fashion space to making sure that women actually have the resources. I think for women politicians, and we'll note this further in sort of this segment as we you know bring it throughout the months, is that men kind of have this luxury or male identifying people have this luxury of being able to kind of like wear the same thing day in day out like you could wear a black suit five days in a row and no one would unless like the keenest of fashion eyes would not realize it's the same thing right like switch the shirts switch the tie you have one thing that rotates out I mean like ew gross like Mm -hmm. please like wash your clothes but like you get the idea you could really you have that flexibility but like unfortunately the way that the media looks at women especially women in power is okay what does each outfit what is she wearing what does yeah. she look like yeah. and how much did it cost yeah they're attacking her for for how good she looks and and that you know she must be buying expensive clothes but she's thrifting she's renting rent the run- runway has they've mentioned which i've used when i was working it's so nice to like be able because as a woman even in the workplace it's like showing up in the same outfit like there's some feeling about it where you're like yeah. look at you as a woman and expect you to like show out every day and like something new and you know obviously that's a societal norm that hopefully we can change but in the meantime like rent the runway and other like quote like clothing rental um stores have been amazing like I used that when I was working and I would just have like a new cool jacket every day and like that was even enough to switch it up so ladies thrift rent it's also sustainable um and good for the planet so yeah all right but today we are talking to state senator biagi um from new york and she is giving us the full scoop on what it's like to be a state senator um how committees work and accountability in politics which is all very important so here is senator biagi well, we are super, super excited to have you on the show. Uh, and of course, we want to you know, chat about your journey to becoming a senator, how that all happened, get a little bit of you know, background to that story. So to start things off, what inspired you to run? Wow. So um, I think that I had probably this unusual desire to want to be in politics and, and work in government from the time that I was very little. But in my mind, as I got older, I thought that this was a very long-term goal for a very long off time, right? Like in my (laughs) mind, I was like, in my 40s, it'll be great. We'll run for something. And the unfortunate uh, loss of 2016, because I worked on the 2016 election for Secretary Clinton, when that was all said and done, and it was very clear that she had lost the election, like so many people who were part of that kind of cohort, Many of us went home and home for me has always been New York. So I really didn't go far because I was at Brooklyn headquarters and I just kind of came home um, to my childhood house, which was a very hard experience. But the long and short was that many of us, you know, pivoted and went home to try to figure out what we could do to really deal with a Trump presidency in our towns, in our counties, in our states. Um, And 
on a very local level, state level, and federal level. And I think at the time, just reflecting back, something that was really very clear as an emotion for me was just the sense of how big the Trump presidency was and how small I felt in all of it. And part of what I think the risk of that feeling could be is that you feel like you're hopeless. But for me, what I pivoted into thinking was, okay, well, what can I do with my community from where I am, with what I know, and where do I get started? And so it didn't really happen that quickly. But as soon as the election was over, I went home. I started teaching civics in people's homes and talking oh to them gosh. about government. And the reason was because so many people reached out and were like, what do I do? What are, who even represents me? And that is not a symptom of their ignorance. That's a symptom of a failed educational system, just to be very clear. Something that we can do a lot better about and on at a very local and state level. And something that we focus on, I think, when we talk about what are we funding, we should be funding civics in classrooms and making sure that everybody learns it. Um, but then from that, kind of naturally grew this desire to want to use my law degree. I'm also a lawyer. And I was thinking to myself, how can I best use my law degree to fight back against the Trump administration? And no better place than the state of New York for the governor of New York in the most progressive place on earth, right? Except that when I got there, it wasn't so progressive. And a lot of the bills that I was given, including the Reproductive Health Act, which was a bill that would codify Roe v. Wade, just make it the law in New York so that in case Roe v. Wade was overturned at the federal level, we could actually have those rights preserved at the state level. And when that bill didn't pass, I, I just thought, thought to myself, something is very wrong here. And what was wrong was that there was a group of eight legislators who for about a decade or so, had run as Democrats, got elected as Democrats, and then went to Albany and only worked with the Republicans, effectively handing the Republicans a majority. They called themselves the IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference. They really did only put themselves first. And I can say that with the clarity of mind now because being in the legislature for two years, it is almost impossible to not find an issue that you feel like, oh my God, I feel so responsible for doing something about that because I can. So for them to have gone on for 10 years, blocking progress from things like climate, from immigration rights, um, women's right to choose amongst other um, women's issues, including sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, and rape. And by the way, I know it's not just women's issues, but women are predominantly the ones who are unfortunately the survivors and the victims of those types of, um, of abuses and other things. And I just thought to myself, how could they put themselves before 19 million New Yorkers? And the head of this little cohort was my state senator. Now, I want everybody just who's listening to know, I never had the intention of running for the state senate, ever. It would never even cross my mind. <laughs> I frankly didn't think it was sexy like a lot of people because it really yeah. wasn't state government was not sexy before 2016. And we really did transform that in a very big way because myself and a cohort of other like-minded individuals challenged this group. We won. And not only did we win in my race, but we beat him by 10 points. He had spent $3 million. We spent $250,000. I mean, you really can't like, it, it, on paper, we never would have won. So like, what was the reason? It was just the groundswell of people fed up with Trump at that point. It was 2018. And they, the desire to win, get organized, become conscious, and get involved no matter what that looked like. And so 
I think, you know, like many people, my story is not unique. It might be unique in the details, but on a very meta level, a lot of people who have run have run because they see a problem. They really do believe they can do something about it and they might be terrified, but they do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have won. And I think that's the story, hopefully that gets yeah. translated across the whole country. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a really cool story, but also the, you know, to your point about civics and teaching civics in class and all of that. I mean, I really, I will talk about this for ages, but I really think there needs to be a general life education course that everyone takes. They take it in high school, then they take it in college or wherever they go from, you know, how to write a check to literally how does the, you know, government work around you? How do you file your taxes? Things like that are so important to your day to day and people don't know how to do them. Myself sometimes included, like absolutely guilty. And I think that stuff would be so essential. And I know that stuff starts in terms of, you know, policy and legislation, state Senate included. And I know you also just said, you know, state Senate, not so sexy. So why did you pick it? I mean, frankly, because like, I think the combination of rage and positioning, uh, like so many things in life you don't pick, it picks you. And I, I say that like without this like magical fairy dust, I really do mean it like part of like why people are successful at things or why things happen the way they do is because you spend a lot of your time like preparing right it's like or like a race like not a, a political race but like a race that you run and all of a sudden like oh wow this opportunity comes where you get to run in this amazing race to help raise money to you know cure cancer or whatever the issue is or raise money for Parkinson's disease or whatever it might be. And it's like the positioning of yourself and maybe you run and you did so well that you win and you never thought that you would set out to be the winner of a, of a, you know, a race like that. But the point is you just prepare yourself. And so leading up to that point before the Clinton campaign, I had done basically like every single campaign school that exists under God's blue sky okay so oh that was like an it was almost like an addiction i felt very safe there i also felt like every time i went to a new one i was like i know that that's something new this is great <laughs> like later on later on and i would put all the information in my folder not realizing that you know part of what i think draws people to anything is like we all have this some of us listen to it some of us don't so the, those of us who don't are probably don't also because we're conditioned to actually not listen to it. And the it I'm talking yeah. about is like the intuition. Mm -hmm. You have, there's no factual reason why you would believe something other than you just feel it. Like that's a very personal thing. And I think that women are very in tune with their intuition. And we're, we're told like, oh no, no, no. Like that's an emotional thing. It's one of our most powerful, yeah. you know, powers that we have. and the whispers started to happen when I was really young, but like the whispers of like, oh, maybe you want to do that campaign school or like, hey, you should probably like learn a little bit more about how to run a campaign, right? So like Yale Women's Campaign School and Center for American Women in Politics and um, Vote Run Lead and Eleanor's Legacy and all of these things. It was just like, a, like my energy was just being pulled towards it. And I did it out of a desire, which I think most things that are born organically happen that way uh, mm -hmm. and not an obligation. However, when I, when I came to what was so, which was that my state Senator was the reason why 19 million New Yorkers were not having the you know right to choose codified 
um, having our climate protected, having our schools funded, um, having sexual harassment hearings, amongst so many other things. That to me felt personal. And I think that feeling, which was rage, frankly, combined with the rage <laughs> from 2016 losing, cause like what the hell happened there? And it was so yeah. painful that so many of us felt it was like a funeral. I think many of us mm -hmm. can relate. Oh my God. Yeah, I wore right? black like more than usual, <laughs> which is like pretty much all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> I got in cab. Pulled out the black like, eyeliner. Cried. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my, yeah, legit, the day after that happened, it was insane in New York. I feel like people just like kept like coming up to each other and we're like, oh my God, are you okay? Yeah, like, for weeks happening? this went on. But it was I legit, mean... like, yeah. <laughs> I got into a cab once and the cab driver, I was crying, of course, and the cab driver turned around and he was like, oh, like so many of you today. And it's like, this was like weeks after the election and it was just like oh throughout New York, everyone was just hysterical. And it, but what happened in that moment for me was like, oh my God, like I live like in the place I grew up in, this person has been my state senator my whole life. And this is what he's, this yeah. is what he chooses to continue to do with the Trump presidency, the Trump who beat Secretary Clinton, like how dare you? <laughs> and no, and honestly, it was like one of the craziest things because everybody told me that I was absolutely out of my mind as mm. most things happen, when you want to take a big, very big swing at something, people will tell you yeah. how crazy you are, which mm -hmm. you just learn not to listen to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, I love that. Once you got into that seat, like what does your role as a state senator entail? And for those who don't know and don't know state government sure. very well, like, is that similar to a senator at the federal level? Like how, how does it all work? It's similar in the sense of like how the houses are set up, right? So, okay, just for everyone's awareness, there are three levels of government, right? You have like local, state, federal, and in the state government, there are three branches, right? So you have, or th I should say, yeah, three branches, right? So you have executive, legislative, and judicial, and that's the same at the federal level. In the legislative branch, you have the legislature, and in the legislature, you have the assembly, and you have the Senate. In the Senate, there are 63 senators across the state of New York. And I am one of 63 representing District 34. District 34 usually means nothing to anybody because we have utterly confused the entire population of New York because of gerrymandering. And we hope to fix that this year, going into next year as we redraw the lines as a supermajority in the state Senate, but we'll get to that later. Yay. <laughs> but because the lines have been drawn for political reasons by predecessors, not just mine, but others across the city and the state, the lines look a little ridiculous and are very confusing. But in District 34, I represent the Bronx and Westchester counties. And so every day you could kind of see my job as like really much, very much twofold. I am, as I like to remind a lot of people who think my job is actually to um, throw parties. And I say that with like a put a pin in that for a moment. I am a legislator, that is my job, which means that I propose bills, I put them into a system and that bill gets a bill number. And then that issue is something that I will work on and hopefully a bill that I will pass that will become law after we pass it in both houses and the governor will sign it. That is like the most basic way to describe what I do on the legislative side. The other 50% of my life is really very much like meeting the needs of the community and how can I make sure that the needs of my constituents, constituents meaning 
people who voted for you and those by the way who didn't vote for you now become the people that you represent and so a lot of what we do in my office is making sure that we are responding to the people who call with problems whether it relates to rent or food insecurity or immigration issues or any real issue you could even imagine in your mind comes through the door and dealing with constituent cases it also on that constituent level part of my job is to make sure that the needs of the community are met from a fiscal standpoint so making sure we fund the right programs that are actually successful in the district like after school programs because not every school in the district has an after school program and that relates directly to funding and so Right now, my, my main focus, as you could probably even imagine without me telling you, is COVID recovery, COVID relief, um, and, and really making sure that we are planning for not only the end of this year, but then the beginning of next year when it comes to what's the COVID recovery in New York going to look like when it comes to rent relief, mortgage relief, when it comes to making sure that people are actually getting the healthcare services that they need, because as I mentioned, I represent the Bronx. And in the Bronx, we have the worst health outcomes of any county in the state. And I say that with a pause because we also have some of the most powerful people in the state representing the borough of the Bronx in many different capacities. So those two things don't really add up. And part of what I feel like my job is to do is to raise awareness about it and do something about it. And that includes relief and making sure that their needs are met on a very uh, basic level, which in some yeah. regards has to do with funding. I have a stupid question. We want to talk about committees. Um, Cause we know, you know, that's a big part of what you do. Um, but let's start by like how many representatives make up a committee. Okay. Committees. So, uh, okay. So we have again, 63 state senators, as I mentioned in the New York state Senate, house of the legislature remember there's the assembly okay um as far as how many of us make up a committee it really depends and that is by statute there are actually rules in the public officers law that says if this is the codes committee it requires x number of people and it kind of breaks it down if it's the ethics committee if it's the health committee the rules committee um and so the ethics committee which i chair ethics and internal governance um has seven senators who are members of that committee um the membership of all of the committees except for the ethics and internal governance committee um is really created also by and can be changed by a resolution of the rules or a change in the rules, which usually will happen, if at all, at the very beginning of the legislative session. So in the last legislative session, at the, and now I'm not talking about this year in 2020, I'm talking about when we like got sworn in 2019, we did one rules change and that rules change was basically to allow the ethics committee to function like all the other committees. What does that mean? It means that before 2019, the ethics committee could not hear or, or have any types of pieces of legislation be brought for review before the committee. And that's because of the way that the laws were written. And so when I said and, and really shared that I wanted to chair this committee, I part of that desire was tied to bringing to life a committee that really people had not cared about. And so prior to my chairing the committee, the committee had only met two times in 10 years. It's not even a joke. It's real. It's pathetic. Oh my God. And it's totally <laughs> crazy. Insane. I know. And so one of my commitments was like, okay, we're going to have bills that we hear. We're going to have hearings and we are also going to meet 
monthly. Like we're just doing that. And so we have, we did, and I'm very proud of it. And the hearings that we chaired, that I chaired as the chair of ethics were for sexual harassment in the workplace. And it was the first hearing on the topic in 27 years. So I think wow. we've done a lot more than, than previously. Oh my goodness. But to say the least, wow. And what really does a committee do? I guess we should have probably asked that sure. first. But, so, um... so, okay, so a committee does, it reviews bills basically. And the point, like each set of bills go to a committee based on the subject matter jurisdiction that it falls under. So like if you propose a bill in the public health law, well, that bill is going to go into the health committee. It's going to be reviewed. And what does that mean? It means that in the day where you have your committee meeting, you are looking at the agenda and you go bill by bill by bill. And so you're talking, you basically what happens is you're talking about the bill, you read the number, you talk about what the issues are, and then you vote. And the vote is important because you either vote one of three ways you vote. Yes which is I, you vote no, which is nay, and then you vote AWR. AWR is a very um, Albany-specific gem, and I say that very <laughs> sarcastically because it's ridiculous. AWR means um, I without recommendation. What the hell does that even mean? Well, what it means is that it's like a maybe, like, yeah, but like, I don't, yes, but I don't recommend that it go out of committee. Like what? what? Like, it's not even like, maybe it's like, I don't really know. It's like, yes, but no. So it's, oh it's God. totally yeah. ridiculous. It's meant to allow, to be, to be allowed as a mechanism for people who don't want to be on the record as no, or for people who yeah. don't want to be on the record as yes. And controversial bills that come up, that matters because your vote is public. And yet I still don't like it as a mechanism. I think it really allows people to dodge accountability on like where they stand and you should be prepared to take a stand, whether it's yes or no, and be able to defend yes or no on any one of your votes. And so that's that a weird thing. Wild. That, that, it's wild. It's wild. I know it's very weird. So we basically vote and then the bill, once it, it if it goes out of committee, if, we're, if there's enough votes for a yes vote, the next place that it goes is to first reading. First it's reading, essentially reading, like a white reading. lie. <laughs> yes, it's a white lie. Yeah. That's exactly Wait, what so it is. Another stupid question off of that. I know we didn't prep for this, but so what happens if everyone on the committee votes AWR? The bill doesn't move. It stays in the committee. And so what happens Wild. is, so oh this God. is, I know. So this is actually part of the power of this that's kind of cool is like, if you are really hellbent on like killing a bill because you're like, this is the worst bill, like you, your goal is to basically not let it come out of committee. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to just give you some inside politics. A bill doesn't make it onto an agenda unless you know that like everyone's going to vote yes because it's going to move. Yeah. And the reason for that is because historically the culture of Albany is like you don't want to embarrass your colleagues, right? Meaning to the goes to the extent of like don't even question them about that bill, which is ridiculous. And it's like, really something that we've kind of blown up as like a norm. That is right? so interesting. Um, that is so interesting. I feel like it's the perfect segue because we want to talk about accountability in politics. And like, Great. that is exactly, you know, <laughs> what we need here, obviously. Yep. Um, and we've talked about you being the chair um, on the ethics and internal governance yes. committee. But so what are some issues that like come across your desk regarding accountability in politics? And what does that really mean? So... In terms of like my oversight for my committee, um, the first thing, which is really, really important is that it's not just the ethics committee, it's, in, it's also internal governance. So that, those are the rules. And so accountability is part of how we do business. It's not just like, 
in agencies or in member relationships. It's like, or in, in member relations or how the legislature, you know, does their business. It's also like, how does a bill come to the floor? Like, is the process fair? Is it right? Is it just? And so I think one of the best examples, which I kind of alluded to when I was talking about the ethics committee that I could give you is making sure that the ethics committee was the committee that pushed for the sexual harassment hearings in the workplace, which frankly, we, despite having campaigned on it, despite having public support for them, was not an easy thing to do, mainly because a lot of people in the legislature were afraid that if we had those hearings, that they would actually be held accountable because there are members of the legislature that have harassed people. And so my Good response Lord. to that was too bad. We must have these hearings. <laughs> Love we that. have to have them. And also like, you know, if you behave that way, like that's, so be it. Yeah, that's just sorry, what you get, but... right? And so yeah. the hearings happened one month after I took office. So if you could just like put yourself into my mind for a second and just have like your listeners think about what that felt like. Winning the seat that I won was a very big deal because I took out the most powerful legislator in the state. Okay, then move on. Like we did it. Yeah. And then you get there <laughs> and you get sworn in. And like, you're, I sat in my seat and I am short. I am 5'3". My feet didn't reach the floor. So like immediately I was like, oh boy, like this feels weird. I feel Same. so small, right? Like if you're short like I am, you feel sometimes like a child. And I did. And I we thought We both like, are very short. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, you're you're like, like the two shortest. Oh my like, God. Yeah. Not ever. Like oh, I'm 5'1". Okay. Like so I'm short. I'm 5'3 too. I'm 5'3 too. So you get it. Oh, you it's guys not... are like tall in comparison. <laughs> wow. Like giant compared to five one. But you but you know what what I what I mean? Like you feel small and sometimes yeah. feeling small oh, yeah. all the time. Your psychology. <laughs> yeah, and it's not fun it's at all. Especially yeah. in a room like the New York State Senate where you're like, I'm here to lead, and then you're like, I'm a child. That's what it felt like for the first like few weeks. I was oh like, God, Wow, this is insane. And like who gave me this responsibility? I can't believe I have it. But then you start to ease in. But then just think about this, right? So like that happens, you feel really young, you're trying to like, you know, really make sure you're leading in a strong way. And then we got the go ahead. And so you don't say no to the timing just because it wasn't on the time that you asked for. Just like everything yeah. else in life, you do it when it comes and you take the, you take the opportunity. And so a month in, I chaired hearings. Now I want to just like put this also into your head. When we got there that day, I had my whole like list of here are the witnesses, here are all the questions, all of those things, except nobody prepped me on like, how do you start a hearing? And how does the questioning go? And like, what do oh I say? God. So I had literally no idea, like the cameras <laughs> went on, the thing started and I was like, took a breath and I just started to talk, talk. And I <laughs> frankly, like, I don't know if I, if I looked back, I probably would laugh at myself because it's the most ridiculous thing you to, have to share. You have to, you have to. <laughs> but like, you know, that was another thing where I was like, I don't belong here. It's just like ridiculous, yeah. you know, oh my God. because the hearing was so successful. I mean, we had two hearings ultimately. They totaled 24 full hours of hearings. Like what? Mm. Exactly. Like so much positivity and, and, um, really smart policy ideas came out of those hearings. We heard from the victims of the, or the survivors, I should say, um, of 
previous employees in the legislature who formed the sexual harassment working group who had been either harassed or raped or abused by members of the legislature, some of whom wow. were still there, some of whom had died and had left, um, some of whom were in prison. And the hardest wow. part of that, and this is, this is my, one of my most proud moments of 2019, was this, okay? You might not think that if you looked at a witness list that the order mattered or matters, because as long as you hear from people, that's what matters. Except that the way the witness list was created was such that the, that group of sexual, the sexual harassment working group, those members were broken up. And I thought that was very weird. And I also thought that was not as powerful if you break them up. But the reason that they were broken up was because there was a fear that if they came together, it would be so powerful that the truth that they shared would be like world shattering. So mm. one moment before the first group was supposed to testify, I turned to the council from the Senate and I said like, can we just combine them? And the council said to me, no, the assembly doesn't want to. So I just like on my feet quickly, I turned to my assembly counterpart and I was like, do you care if we put them all together? And she was like, no, I don't care. And I was like, great. The assembly said, yes, the entire sexual harassment working group can now testify. They were furious with me, but also like there was nothing that they that could so do, much. right? Nothing they could yeah. do. And it was the most powerful moment of the entire hearing. And it was the catalyst of why we were able to make the change we were policy-wise at the amazing. end of the session. It's all in the details. You know, all the details. Small as that, like, can literally change the entire course of something. Exactly. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like, sometimes, if you're like me, I like, I always want to like, listen, I'm a risk taker, but I also don't want to be like breaking rules for no reason. There's like no reason to do that. Even though I, I do yeah. like to break rules. So, you know, like, I'm like, <laughs> I am a rule breaker, but like in certain circumstances, like you just come in, it's a month in, you don't want to be that person, but you know totally. what? You sometimes you have to be because sometimes the rules don't align with reality and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like that is oftentimes where we get stuck in politics and we get stuck in some of these archaic old school methods for things is like everyone's a little too afraid to make a change or they don't want to piss off their yeah. colleagues. Like I can think about like just on a normal day-to-day -day job, like mm -hmm. when you start off at a new job yeah. and you're just trying to like you know, make friends with anyone and everyone and sort of like see the lay of the land, not make any, you know, waves. Like that applies here too. And people yeah. obviously take that life learning into policy, but like, it's important to make waves. That's why you're there. Like yeah. just as an employer, you wouldn't hire someone new if you didn't want some change or something to come in. And I feel like it's the same thing in politics too. It's like, that's why people voted you in. It's because right. there needs some change. There's some problem that needs a solution. So like, right let's get granular here. Let's figure out like what's undercover. That's like not working. So it's I think so it's awesome true. That you did that. And like, I, I hope like too, you know, we continue to sort of see those changes. I think uh, Maddie can like attest to this too. Like we've talked so much about democratic reforms, and the need for them. And this seems like it's exactly that. Yeah. yeah and I, I think we're not just reminding us we're not there to make friends. Like that's not what I'm there for. Yeah. No, I love that. And I so love true. just, hearing your story of like kind of coming on being kind of intimidated not knowing what the steps are to take like chairing a committee and you know the fear that can come with that just like the fear anyone will have like starting a new job or whatever everyone knows that feeling right yeah but it's it's so cool to see um at the political level like women step up and like make these 
powerful changes. And I mean, we're seeing that. We see that with the squad. We always talk about them and like totally. how powerful powerful their voices are. Yes. Um, but also like just young women now that are being elected and like coming in and like just changing it up and stirring the pot. It's incredible. Like we have to keep encouraging women to run for office. It's so I agree. important. It's so important. Yeah. It's actually, it's like the only way that we're going to transform the world because yeah. the whole world has been created by just like a monolith of humans and thinking and like, clearly it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not a one size fits all solution. No. Um, and I think it leads me to sort of my, my next question here, which is obviously we've seen some, you know, some strides into how we can make change happen, but are there any ideas that you have on your end for increasing accountability in government as a whole? Yes, uh, there are so many. If you are somebody who is committed to making transformational change, which inherently means you are there to break up the status quo because it doesn't work. Not because you have yeah. a vendetta against somebody, okay? Because it doesn't work, that's it. Then you have to get comfortable with people not really liking you or being mad at you. and take that one step further, there are colleagues that you will have to call out because their behavior is either rises to the level of abusive, rises to the level of racist, rises to the level of sexist, rises to the level of outdated or whatever it is. It's important that we do that in a very um, escalated and also urgent way because what has mm -hmm. happened in the legislatures across this country i could say that with certainty is that if this person's part of your conference they're the they're a democrat I'm like all right well, that person like you cut like you hide it hide it that hiding only makes the foundation upon which that conference and the work that they can do like it it makes it so weak and ultimately yeah. then you have people who are part of it who really like just make your whole entire ability to make progress very much weakened and what does yeah. that mean it means the people that you are there to represent actually get no change that's, that's crazy. so important to note i think because especially now as we move into like this post-election world um where you know everyone's just focused on getting trump out let's be yes. real um yes. it's important to continue to hold everyone accountable it's not just about you know the party that you don't identify with it's your own party too and there's yeah. oh. people who you can claim to believe in that you it's okay to like not agree with something they do or to hold them accountable for something like correct i think we've become so it's like the tribalism has become so powerful um with these parties that we're not even able to hold someone in our same party accountable and that absolutely needs to stop like i agree it's so damaging and so damaging. it's why we're so divided now so and it's so easy to like point out something a republic i'm a democrat so to point out something that a, a republican does it's like yeah. easy points like nobody so should easy. get claps for that that's ridiculous the harder yeah. thing to do is to call out a colleague or someone who's leading your government like the governor when they do things that are outrageous or that violate or have a potential to violate the rights of the citizens of new york or the people who live in new york like you'll see very few people speak up why it doesn't make any sense there's one person there like speak out for the right thing like that yeah. is actually powerful there's a fear yeah. there's the fear is i know like and i think it's serious. also yeah and i think people also think because you don't agree with someone on one thing that you then have to like hate them or you don't have to like you have to disagree on everything it's like no like 
you can disagree on this one thing but still support them or raise them up when they do the right thing like we need to like be more accountable in like I guess more constructive and productive ways and like also more forgiving at the same time and allow people to change and like not shame people for like changing their mind or holding themselves accountable I think that's completely lost it it allows for just more defensiveness and less accountability and And I I mean I think that's a misnomer too that you have to agree with everything that someone stands for like every things can be piecemeal you know you could agree with a representative on three out of five of their main issues and not on the other two correct and And that's that's okay and you can approach that with you know a very you know critical lens but I think that it it connects to the idea that there's no perfect candidate right and like the idea that you know every every step is important we need to you know take things one step at a time um and really like look at things that way and that that i think will lead us to something a little bit more accountable i agree mm-hmm. and it's actually yeah, like- a very future focused way of showing up like a lot of the people who've been there for a long time think they equate in their mind like you disagreed with me now we're at war mm-hmm. and it's like what yeah. are you talking about that's not a war yeah. like what yeah, exactly. So it's like we can't – we need to also humanize people totally. in these leadership positions too and realize, like, it's okay if they mess up. Like, let them fix it. Like, give them the tools and the knowledge and yes, all the support to fix it. You – okay. If somebody came – and I, I want to share this piece because I think this is, like, an important part as, like, a young female legislator. Like, these are some of the things that I experience. Very few people have yelled at me. And anybody who has, like, I have not spoken to again. It's just – mainly because I have a boundary about that. And like that crosses a boundary that I feel like is abusive and I don't like it. Right. So, okay, cool. People's energy, like the difference between my conversations with the mayor of New York city, whether you like him or not. And frankly, like you don't have to get me started there, but versus the governor of New York, the mayor has never (laughs) yelled. He has never even been mean on a phone call ever. Okay. And, and I have come with to him with like, rage full of information like what is going on why is this happening okay the governor of new york all you have to do is pick up the phone that energy that like negative energy is so you can feel it before he even speaks now why do i note that because like if you're in the business of people which politics is then you have to be able to connect with them and be able to communicate with them in a way that is actually productive for the majority of the people that you're representing because that's your job. So I think like we don't put enough emphasis on that. I think we look at like the accomplishments and we don't look at the person making the accomplishments because just because somebody has accomplished something and puts a stake in the ground doesn't account for all the harm that they have created along the way. Yeah. And that is not okay. <laughs> like yeah. it is not and to undo that whether it's trauma or whatever happens as a result of that, like we've got to get more more accountable to people who actually behave that way too. Yeah, and I appreciate like just your realness about it too because I think we need more people just talking genuinely about what it's like and what it's like around these people who we just see like on the TV and how they act. And it's like, yeah, you would never think like Daddy Cuomo is like <laughs> can be a dick. Like, and he's maybe not he nice. Just, yeah, he's not so, nice. It's all in politics. We're also so blinded by how they present themselves rather than yeah. who they actually are and how they work and how they treat people. Totally. Um, so I appreciate just your realness about everything. I feel like that's so needed in politics across the board. 
Um, so I should I should correct up. what I said. It's not about nice. It's about kind. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. very. It comes from a place of strength to show up in the world and be kind despite all of the things that would make you not want to be kind. <laughs> like yeah, and all your stress is, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for parting words, I I I thank you for caring about this and for highlighting these all the people who are swirling in this world and just trying to like do good and and really like bring about the change that we all are like so craving and mm -hmm. i think that the most important thing that i could leave if there's like nothing else that anybody remembers or that you both remember it is mm -hmm. this because despite all of those like feet don't touch the floor don't know how to start the hearing what's going on like <laughs> nobody knows or has the answer like nobody actually knows what mm -hmm. the right thing is to do and i don't mean like right versus wrong in a moral way i mean like there really isn't a playbook. And so that has given me the freedom to be able to show up as myself because if nobody knows, then like I might as well show up as me. And that is a very freeing way to lead. And I think that the more of us that do that, the more of us that give that invitation to people show up authentically as themselves, which is the most powerful act of love I believe we could have for the world. I love that. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank so Thanks much. for coming. You bet, you guys. Thank you. All right, everyone. So we want to go into some of the top stories of the week. Of what is going on in the political space? Um, it's always overwhelming. So here are the top three stories that we think you need to know this week. Um, starting with President-elect Joe Biden is starting to make his cabinet picks and um he has definitely been prioritizing you know political experience and bureaucratic experience um and so you know cabinet picks for those who don't know are just the people who are going to work in his administration so these will be kind of the big decision makers um kind of behind the scenes in a way of the biden administration and um they you know lead the different departments in um, the presidential administration. So there's um, departments on things like climate change and foreign defense and e the economy and education and all these different things that are very, very important. And so each are broken into departments and led by um, cabinet picks um, that the president chooses and the Senate approves of. So. so basically since November 3rd, people have really been talking about, okay, who is going to end up in this cabinet? Who are going to be some of the key policymakers, the movers and shakers in Washington um, that are directly working with Joe Biden? So we've seen a really, really big difference uh, with his strategy and how he's going about it than current President Trump. So. I think that in and of itself has been something to really note and evaluate. Uh, but we've also seen a more diverse administration already start to emerge. So what does that mean? That means more women involved, more people of color, people with more diverse views. That means putting people in office and in positions that are Republicans, that are Democrats, that are independents. Uh, we've really seen the whole kind of plethora, the whole spectrum. So Janet Yellen is set to be the first woman to lead the Treasury Department. Mira Tandon um, is set to be the first woman of color to lead that office. Um, and then Cecilia Roos is supposed to be the first woman of color to chair the Council of Economic Advisors. So there are quite a few people coming in um, that are accomplishing first and are really set to, to change the stage that we're looking at right now. Yeah, Biden also announced 
um, an all-woman-led comms team, which is incredible. And I mean, I think it's huge too, just the representation we're, we're seeing. And I think, you know, Biden has made it clear, you know, he wants to push us all back towards a united front. Um, and, you know, having people from all sides of the spectrum, um, ideals-wise, in those positions from progressives to Republicans is a big part of, you know, uniting us and compromising and also just representation in general, which is what our country is about, what democracy is about. So we love to see it. It's been exciting to see, you know, who he's picking and um, he still has more to go. But so far, um, it's been, I would say, like, thumbs up. What would you grade it so far? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely give it an overall thumbs up. Get that emoji there. Rockin' and rollin'. Next story um, is Trump's census immigration plan has made it to the Supreme Court. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, um, basically a few months ago, Trump um, was attempting to exclude people um, who are living in the country illegally um, from the population count that the census does every 10 years. So essentially the census um, among other things, um, ultimately is used to divide up congressional seats. And so Trump was attempting to exclude people living illegally um, to try and help Republicans um, attain more seats. The case on the state and the state courts have, have been rejected, so it's ultimately made it up to the Supreme Court. Um, and yeah, the Trump administration is hoping that the justices on the court that he has ap appointed um, that we are now very familiar with, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, etc. Um, Trump is obviously hoping that, you know, his appointees will embrace this idea and um, reject, you know, what the lower courts have been saying. Um, and so it's kind of Trump's latest and likely last um, approach to immigration issues um, to reach the high court and to push his immigration agenda. Yeah, and interestingly, so on Monday, um, it seemed like the Supreme Court was skeptical that essentially President Donald Donald Trump, you know, the guy in orange, you know, <laughs> terrible, that spray tan. Um, but regardless, regardless of all things orange, so the federal courts in California, Maryland, and New York have ruled that Trump's plan violates federal law and or the Constitution. Yeah, so next story. Um is Moderna is asking the United States and European regulators to officially okay um, its vaccine. So crazy, crazy, this story is progressing. Um, and so Moderna, one of um, the companies who has been working on a COVID-19 vaccine um, has officially asked the US and different European regulators to allow emergency use of its COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and so, you know, their studies are coming out that they're, you know, efficient and offering like strong protections. Um, right now, Moderna says the shot's effectiveness um, has a good safety record so far. So obviously we love to hear that. Uh, apparently side effects are only temporary and flu-like. I mean, I still hate the flu, but okay, I'll take it. Mm. Um, and that means, which is, this is what the important part of this is what the takeaway is, is that it meets the requirements set by the FDA. So at least for emergency use, um, that's that's sort of where we are. So final stage testing still will need to happen regardless of its approval, but we 
are at the stage that at an emergency level, it, we might have a vaccine that could be usable. All right, guys. Well, congrats. You're informed for this week. Um, but there is an important step that we can't forget um, is to stay active civically. Um, and so kind of the biggest thing I think you can do right now um, is Georgia. We've talked about this. There is a Georgia runoff happening. Um, and again, if you want more info on what that means, um, episode nine, we explain what the Georgia, Georgia runoffs, what that is and how it works. And so as a quick refresher, there are two Senate races um, that had to go to a runoff election after this last November 3rd election. Um, and the runoff is essentially a rematch because um, the races were, were so close. So um, these two races are so important because it will determine which party will control the Senate. So you can get involved and you can, you know, play a role in how these races turn out. Um, and so we will provide links in this episode description where you can donate to these candidates in their races um, and or you can get involved by texting and calling voters. And I feel like this, I do want to just like preface what texting and calling voters is like um because i feel like if you are not politically involved you don't have a history of being that politically involved that can seem like something that might be intimidating or something that maybe you don't need to do or i don't know but um texting and calling voters is actually really fun (laughs) it's really easy um and it's super rewarding and so it's basically like they provide you scripts they provide you like um, the different platforms you can use to like send texts. It won't be from your phone. Um, they have like these platforms that send mass texts out and do like mass phone banks. And so it's super easy. And again, you have a script, so you have everything you need to say. So don't let any kind of like mental block stop you from getting involved. And so um, I suggest like trying a texting shift or a phone banking shift. And I think this Georgia race is like so important that it will be even that much more fulfilling to hopefully see those races go the way you want. And again, those links are in the description of this episode. So go get involved. All right, guys. Of course, before you go, we want to just set a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, review, you know, give us those five stars. Um, Of course, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Um, Check us out online as well if you want more information. Of course, we are also all ears for all things political questions. So our DMs are open to you. Of course, if you like old school communication, we're here for it too. Send us an email. Um, We will get back to you with all the info that you need to know. Um, But otherwise, we will see you around these parts next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.